This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. And we are recording. And I am very fortunate today. I have my good friend, Michael Zuber. Michael is a well-renowned, very well-known. He's an author. He has a great book called One Rental at a Time. He does an incredible job with his YouTube channel, uh, One Rental at a Time. Lots of financial news, lots of current events where there's no clickbait. So Michael, thank you. Welcome for joining me today. Hey Ty, thank you very much, man. I look forward to these conversations every week. It's, it's a lot of fun just to kind of, I look, I look forward to these because I get to look back and also look forward. So uh, I appreciate your questions and thanks for following along. I love it, man. So, um, so just let's talk about the election, right? There's mm-hmm. a little bit of uncertainty there, although it feels a lot more certain than it did, you know, last week. I think we kind of all are making peace with it you know, emotionally, at least I hope people are. Um, But your thoughts specifically on if we see a Biden administration, um, which is likely, what are your thoughts on how does that affect the real estate market? Yeah, so when I think about the election, um, I think there's a couple of things. First and foremost, I never want to hear about a poll again, right? The polls were wrong in 16, they were wrong in 18, and they were wrong in 2020. The polls are you know, either wrong or uninformative or, or something is very off. So first and foremost, when I think election, I think polls are wrong. Both candidates received record numbers of ballots, both over 71 million uh, ballots. Um, if you look at just the sheer count, I don't think there's any argument who got the most votes, right? Biden clearly got the most votes. Yep. Uh, if, if this was a population contest, he wins that. Uh, There's still debate on the Electoral College, which is how we choose presidents. Uh, That is still, you know, by some still up in the air. For this conversation, we will assume, given Arizona's declaration this morning or last night, uh, that that now it's even more certain uh, that we will have a change in administration. Uh, But I realize that there are people very passionately believing that there was um, some funny business going on. So the other thing about the election that I think is, I've never, I never really appreciated until validation in 2020 that we are a very divided nation, right? Almost 50-50 when you look at the, the numbers, right? I think it was like 50.5 to like 48.7 or I mean, it's very close in the grand scheme of 130 million votes or 140 million votes um, to see that split. So, you know, we, you know, we first and foremost should be the American, right? We're Americans. We're not Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservative, left, right, red, blue. You know, that's, we allow ourselves to do that. So that's, I think that's a, I think that's a, a weakness that we need to work on. Uh, the best thing I can say about the election is it looks like we are going to have a split Congress, which is what I believe our founding fathers way back in 1776 designed. Um, yeah. And what I think we have there is, what I mean by that is the House will be Democratic, the Senate uh, ideally will be Republican. You know, all we have to do is win one of those seats in Georgia. 
and then you know the presidency will either be Republican or Democrat. Either way, we're split, uh, which I think is good for America. I think that means no crazy spending gets done, no left wing, you know, liberal socialist programs get done because the Senate won't let that happen. Uh, but again, I think that's what the American economy is supposed to be: is um, give and take. Uh, it's never. I don't think it was ever intended to be all left all right, all conservative, all liberal. So I was greatly encouraged uh, by the result uh, with the Senate holding, or at least appear to hold. That was, um, that was a concern. Uh, going into the election, you know, like many, I believed in the polls that a, a, a blue wave was at least possible. And I feared what that would have done to the economy, uh, you know, to inflation and other things. So I think that's, you know, when I think of the election, I think generally, generally good. Um, and then when we go back to all of that in real estate, I think that's the best question of all because real estate is consumer driven, cost of capital, inflation, all of these things that we need to start thinking about. So for me, and what we talk about on my channel all the time is consumers, right? What's going on with the consumer? Yep. I believe, you know, once we get through this, you know, Q4 is going to be painful. We have, you know, we've had nine days in a row over 100,000 cases. We just had another record. Not only cases, but hospitalizations and death are all rising. Um, you know, once we get through this and we get to the vaccine that was announced on Monday or several vaccines, I think the American consumer is going to come out, you know, for the most part, all guns blazing. We have, we've saved more money than we've done before. Uh, we have you know, billions of dollars kind of sitting in money market and savings accounts because what we didn't know was when this horror show of 2020 was going to be over. I think we got clarity on Monday, right? I think there's clarity that, you know what, starting March, April, May, June of next year, we're going to start feeling like the American economy. And boy, when the American economy gets going, it's positive. It, it, there's a positive feedback loop. Uh, we're going to have infrastructure investments and new business creation. I am very happy with what I see coming in 2021, but all of that playing out, that means inflation could pick up in 2022, interest rates may pick up in 2022, right? So there's kind of give and take there, but man, I'm excited by 2021. Love it, absolutely love it, and so good. Um, and I know that, you know, we've talked a lot about this, and of course I follow everything, you know, I don't even really watch regular news anymore, I watch your news. Because your, your world and my world are the same, you know, yep. it's real estate, it's investors, it's California, it's landlords, it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's all very relevant for our real estate industry and professionals. Um, but I wanted to just say, you know, like, I know that throughout the year for this year, because it's been an odd year, 2020, yeah. and you've maintained a presence, which is a little contrarian, and I completely am on board with what your opinion is but you were in a position where you were so bullish and, and optimistic about, okay, single family residences, mm -hmm. California is a good investment. And what I hear you saying is that's still to be true and even maybe more so going into 2021 that you see single family residents, single family investment as a strong place to be. Is that accurate? Yeah, and I appreciate that you've been watching all year, right? So let's just rewind the clock for the people that didn't see it. In late 2019, I made a, a business call in my personal portfolio to sell some C-class apartment buildings. Why did I sell? Like I sold my houses in 08, I thought they were overpriced. Uh, people were paying reduced cap rates uh, for buildings that needed work. Uh, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in immediate capital. 
so I could get out of those. I was able to 1031 exchange into a bunch of houses, which was awesome. And it was just the right thing to do, right? So I was negative on multifamily in 19. And, and again, I do what I say. So I sold uh, apartments and I bought houses. Um, then we come into 2020 and we're like, you know, January, we're like, okay, go buy some houses. Uh, we think houses is a place to go. Uh, you know, interest rates were coming down at the time. And again, I thought multifamily was expensive. Crisis comes February, March. We're like, holy shit, what, what's going on? Don't know. We're like everybody else. We step back for like four or five weeks. We're like, you know, pause button. We're, we're just not sure, right? My first pandemic, never invested through one. So I wanted to see what happened. And lo and behold, we were not disappointed. Once again, the Federal Reserve came in and uh, there's never been a truer statement in my investing career and don't bet against the Fed. So the Fed clearly bailed us out. We were on path for a Great Depression 2.0 in March or April until they saved uh, the markets. Uh, I would argue that they've created tremendous asset appreciation in the stock market. Since then, that's kind of a result of what they had to do uh, to save the system. Uh, that said, what we have seen since then, again, didn't know going in, is we've had less supply, which again, we kind of predict, right? Nobody, you don't want people coming through your house and touching your stuff. So that made total sense. But what we have seen is just the buyers come out of nowhere. And again, we're not talking investor buyers. We're talking owner-occupant buyers, which is very unusual, right? I've been doing this 20 years, and I've never seen it so dominant with owner-occupants that people want to live there. We're seeing two trends that are investable in why I not only like single-family homes in the suburbs, but love them if you have a suburb that's growing. One is you are seeing exodus from the cities, right? You are seeing people leave San Francisco, New York, Seattle, Chicago, really anything that's high rise, it's like no good. Don't want to wait for elevators. Don't want to rent. I'd rather have a backyard, a you know, thing for my garage. Got I'm educating my kids at home now. It's my gym. We just got to do more. So we want more space. And the other thing that's underappreciated, and I didn't appreciate probably until the middle of this health crisis, is just how powerful the millennials are going to be. The millennials started to become important to single family homes in 2016 but it was off a very small base. So you had to really be paying attention. Now what we've seen is the class A millennial renter, right? The person paying four grand in San Francisco or five grand in New York is like, I'm out of here. My employer says I could work from anywhere and they're becoming homeowners and now spending 24 or 2,500 bucks a month. So they're saving more, they're living better, quality of life went up, life is good. And what happens in generations is, when you get those first few movers, they start telling their friends and then their friends tell their friends and this wave, this tsunami comes. And I think millennials are gonna move the market for single families for some time. So I'm on record talking about 2021 being up 10% nationwide single family, even though I agree there's no national real estate market. But the reason I've said that is there's so many, what I consider misinformed talking heads on YouTube talking about a 30 or even 50% crash in single family next year. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are looking at. You're, you're, you're clearly using clickbait or negativity sales, or you're trying to scale pe scare people so you get clicks. It's just not gonna happen. Yes, New York prices will be down. Yes, New York or San Francisco will be down. Yes, maybe Seattle. Yes, maybe Orlando. It's, it's a handful of cities. Nationally speaking, suburbs are going up, man. I just looked at my market and talked to a broker in Fresno yesterday. And I started the conversation by, oh, by the way, it feels like the market's changing just a little bit. And it, it did change a little bit because I look every day. 
it went from 0.9 months supply to 0.1 or 1.0. So yeah, it's a little bit more supply, but when we were talking, you know, instantesimal. So, um, you know, prices are going to go up. This is what, this is why I'm excited as a landlord, because I believe prices will run first. There's just no supply. But what happens with that is prices go up, which pulls the mortgage payment. And at some point, the mortgage payment is going to be kind of not affordable, but people want space. So what happens next? They're going to start renting my single family homes and my rents on single family homes are going to go up. Um, you know, they could go up 15, 20%. Uh, if we have turnover. But again, single families are so strong right now. Apartments are a little weak, but single families are awesome. So I'm, I love single family. If you can find a deal that works, uh, I would lock it up, especially if you're a first timer, you get cheap money, right? You get an interest rate in the threes. I'm jealous. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. And so, and I just want to really be clear before we started the show, I asked Michael about his opinion and I said, do you like, or do you love? And Michael is on record now here on our recording. He loves the opportunity. And so I just want to say that that's very encouraging for, you know, what we're doing as a group. And then also for, I believe, for a lot of our listeners. And, you know, it's interesting because there has been a lot of negative news and I would almost call it propaganda, you know, like fake yeah. news or propaganda where a lot of the YouTube entertainers are putting out, you know, not the YouTube experts, but the entertainers, the people yeah. that are making money off of YouTube, specifically talking about bubbles, talking about bubble markets. And in something that you and I talked about briefly was in 2010, when the economy crashed, or nine, yep. eight, nine, ten, everybody was moving toward cheap houses. Yeah. Today, the game is cheap money. Can you just elaborate a little bit more about that and about the don't bet against the Fed and just yeah. elaborate a little bit about this opportunity with the interest rates. Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest example of this is one very well-known talking YouTube entertainer with almost a million subscribers. It's frightening how many subscribers this individual has given the bad real estate data he puts out there. Um, he talked about the 2020 market peak prices being very similar to the 2008 peak prices. And he kind of ended his story there. 2020 is going to fall because 2008 did. Well, in 2008, this, this individual was in high school. So they, they weren't in the market, right? I was. And I'd been in the market almost 10 years at the time. Comparing 2008 with 2020 alone on prices is, is like looking at you, Ty, and saying you're going to die on, I don't know, 2080, 2083, March 1st. It's like, how the hell do you know that just by looking at me? It's just, it's just stupid data. And because you're entertaining and you, you, know, you, bounce, you dance around on TV, people watch it. There's so many things different between 2020 and 2008 pricing. It's, it's laughable. But let's just start with this. What was interest rates in 2008? Six and a half. What are they today? Three. So the same price is not the same payment. The payment is almost 40% below. So it's just not the same, dude. You need to go back and do your homework because a payment that is 40% less, you're better off. And oh, by the way, incomes are up in 12 years. So, you know, go figure. Second, the debt structure is different. I was buying and I had some of these stupid loans, right? The two and 28s, the five-year arms, all of those things because I was trying to wring out cash flow. 
that structure was one of the reasons the crash happened and it kept building on itself because every month new debt would reset and you just couldn't get away from it. Now, 98% of the debt is fixed, either 30 or 15 years. You don't have that compounding effect. And the beauty about residential, unlike commercial, is if, if, if prices fell 50%, no residential loan gets called. If commercial loans go down 50%, they can get called. You could be in technical default. Very different game. So, I mean, the markets are different. I mean, it's, when I hear, when I see stuff like that and they get like 50,000 views, I'm like, why, why are people taking this bad information and treating it like gospel? It's just, it's not, it's not even close to the same. Yeah, no, spot on. So spot on. Thank you for that. So um, I want to just ask a little bit, you know, I love because you have an MBA background, you ran sales teams, you worked in high tech in Silicon Valley. I don't know that everybody, I, I know that. I don't know that all of our listeners, they should know that. Mm-hmm. Michael's a very smart guy. <laughs> he's, you know, obviously he's got the degree, the pedigree, but more specifically, he has the life experience in working in these markets. So mm-hmm. one of the things I like to do with you is I love for you to explain economic terms and such. Mm-hmm. There was a previous video you can go back and watch. We talk about a K-shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great video. It's on the playlist. Today, I want to just talk about inflation because I know that's a buzz. I, if you listen to popular news, they talk about, you know, because of, you know, more dollars are printed. I watched Robert Kiyosaki the other night and he was talking about, you know, a dollar isn't a dollar, a dollar is debt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he talks, you know, just about inflation. You know, you have people that are buying gold and silver and Bitcoin and things like that. And I don't want to get on a tangent about crypto, but specifically inflation. Mm-hmm. Talk about inflation and how does that affect your business as a landlord, our business as a landlord and investor, fix, flipper, all of those things. How does inflation affect us? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, inflation is the boogeyman for the Federal Reserve, right? So the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, he, he is the person who has come in and bailed out this crisis, right? He really did take a Great Depression off the table and he deserves credit for that. However, there are ramifications, unintended consequences from interjecting a lot of currency into the system, right? A lot of dollars into the system. And eventually right now we have too many dollars chasing too few goods. That's essentially what happens, right? Because, you know, like if this purple cup, right? If this is the only one out there, but you and I only have a dollar, that's all we can pay. But Federal Reserve prints a lot of it. You've got 10, I've got 12. Suddenly we're in a bidding war for this one asset right? Because there's, you know, too many dollars, 10 and 12 chasing a single thing. So one of the things you have to realize is that's really at a nutshell what inflation is. It's, it's too, much, too much currency, too many dollars chasing too few goods. Uh, so that's simply said. So what does it mean in real estate? Well, in real estate, inflation, if, if you own more than your own home, right? If you're a landlord and you're a residential landlord, inflation is a wonderful thing. Wonderful. Why? First, your debt is fixed. What does that mean? Well, you can go get an interest, you can go get a 30-year mortgage today at 3%. And let's just say inflation is 3%, you know, coming up. That essentially means you're locking in today's dollars, even though inflation is rising. So you're actually paying off the debt with cheaper dollars. 
right? That is right. If inflation got above your interest rate, it's like home run, right? It's just, it's just a great thing. So that's one, but that's probably the smallest reason it is a good thing. What do you and I as landlords want? We want cash flow. What is one of the things, the biggest drivers of cash flow? It's rent. Well, inflation is rent increases, right? Again, too many dollars chasing too few assets, rental homes means demand supply, rent goes up. And that's why I can confidently say, as I said earlier in this video, housing prices are gonna rise first, gonna make the payment unaffordable and rent's gonna go in next. We are going to in, have inflation in rent, which means more cash flow for you and I, assuming fixed rate debt. And then lastly, what is one of the greatest ways to create wealth is through long-term ownership. And again, as a landlord, you are going to get mortgage pay down, which is a couple hundred bucks a month. But if you have inflation, right? If the house you bought for a hundred inflates to 200, that's a hundred thousand dollars in net worth. Now you lose some of that because you individually have to pay more for things like milk and gas and all of that. But when you own lots of real estate, trust me, inflation is a really good thing because I only can buy one can of, or you know, fill up the car once, buy one gallon of milk. But if I have hundreds of units, inflation is a really, really good thing. So inflation adds wealth, inflation adds cash flow. inflation gives, you're paying debt in future dollars, it's cheaper. It's frankly, inflation is a wonderful thing uh, for real estate investors. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I want to just one last thing I want to end on because I think it's inspiring and it's something, I mean, we could talk on every interview and podcast because I love your story and that one rental at a time, but I want to inspire, you know, maybe somebody who hasn't, hasn't studied you as much or doesn't know your story. You started off and you were buying properties off the multiple listing mm -hmm. as a new investor and you bought how many, how many single family homes did you buy? Well, the first six or seven years, we bought eight single family homes. Um, and I think that's what you're asking. Yeah, from 2002 to 2007, uh, we bought, so we bought seven homes in one duplex. Seven houses in one duplex. And today, how many units do you have? About 175-ish. 175-ish. So I, I share that only because how inspiring that is, that when Michael talks about one rental at a time, mm -hmm. He literally, it took him six or seven years to get basically those eight units, the mm -hmm. seven single families and then a duplex. Mm -hmm. So I want you to all be encouraged. It took him a long time or maybe a short time and depending on your perspective. If you're younger, six or seven years seems like <laughs> a long time. Forever. <laughs> For myself, six or seven years seems pretty fast, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I love that and I absolutely love that. And just speak to... How were you able, what was the move that you made? And because and I think this opportunity is kind of like 2002. Yeah. Right. Some people thought the market was going to crash and burn in 2002 for some right reasons. Sure. And it ultimately did in 2007, 2008. But specifically, you know, this time right now in 2020, to me, historically feels similar to the early 2000s where yeah. we've seen a lot of appreciation. We've seen recovery. Yeah. Um, and now people are thinking like to the example where, you know, we're at the 2008 price points. Oh my God, this can't <laughs> last. Maybe it can, maybe it can't. I believe with what you say, because the money is so cheap, yeah. the economics of it, it makes sense to acquire properties that have good cash flows. Yep. Um, 
how did you go from eight, eight properties to 175, 100? Well, there's really two things that were paramount to that. So first and foremost, we learned that the market in 06 or 07 for houses was overpriced, right? We were buying into a rising market, right? And when we were trying to get the ninth house, right, we're like, doesn't make sense. What does that mean? Well, the first house we bought on Norris Drive, which everybody should look up. It's 1818 Norris Drive East, 93703. Go to Zillow, look it up, and then go down to the, the history. We bought that house for 107 grand. It rented for 1100. We sold that house not four years later for 263 or 264, but it still rented for 1100. The house cash flowed a couple hundred bucks a month at 107. It was negative three or 400 at 264. So houses became alligators, as I call them in my book. So what did we do? Well, you know, we weren't going to buy a ninth house because we weren't going negative. So what we did is we did 1031 exchanges. We took a house and we bought apartments, exchanged the money, no taxes. We didn't pay the IRS, none of that. Um, so we went from eight to 80 inside of about a year, year and a half. Um, no new cash, right? We did all of that without writing a check from our accounts. It was all equity moving. And then during the crash, uh, we got very aggressive, uh, right? And 2010 was our busiest year. Everybody was afraid, right? Bear Stearns just went out, you know, a money market account just broke the buck, which meant it returned less than a dollar or two. It's in uh, people who had money there. It was a horrible time. But we had been walking, watching our market every day. And that's what makes me different is I look at my market every day for 10 or 20 minutes. And I knew it was cheap. And everything was on the MLS. I didn't buy an off-market deal until after I retired. I bought everything I bought was available to everybody else on the planet. So I didn't have any special access, no deals, none of that stuff. But I was able to find deals. And then I shared my story, much like we're doing here. And simply by sharing my story, I attracted private money from my personal network. Uh, so we were able to borrow millions of dollars in 2010. And that was the next jump that took us from you know, 80 to, I don't know, 145 or 150. So those were the two big jumps. And everything else has just been onesie twosies here or there. I love it. That's so inspiring, man. I love it. So again, for those of you that are not following Michael, do yourself a favor, follow Michael at one rental at a time. He's on Facebook, he's on Instagram. And I think the highest value thing you do is the YouTube, your YouTube channel. Because you. again, lots of content. You're doing how many, you're doing two or three videos a day? Typically? Yeah, at least three a day, three original pieces, seven days a week. So every day. Yeah, and, and no clickbait either too, by no, the way. So I hate that, clickbait. I hate clickbait. It's just, here's the story. And again, I do all my stuff live, no editing. If I stumble, I stumble, I'm not embarrassed. I just keep going. When yeah. you come from an authentic position, you just, you do it and you move on. It's good. And that's what I love about you is authentic and just genuine. And not only that, but he knows his stuff. This is a smart guy who's doing it at a very high level. So thank you so much for your time, Michael. Thank you. And again, to all our listeners, follow Michael at one rental at a time. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, buddy.